It's a beautiful picture. The earth will soon dissolve like snow. And it's appropriate uh, this morning, isn't it? Uh, but that's not the end of the story. You know, just everything dissolving away. The promise is a new heaven and a new earth and a new creation. That this old order of things would pass away like melting snow, but then God would restore it even better than it was at first, with no sickness, no crying, no dying, no pain. That's good. That could be, I mean, that's it. That, that could be the end of, uh, but we have more <laughs> this morning. So uh, turn with me, would you, in, uh, in your Bible to uh, John chapter 8 and 9. We'll, we'll start by reading John eight twelve, and then the beginning and end of... Um, of a scene in uh, John chapter 9. If you're looking in your pew Bible, it's on page 894 through 896. Um, I'll give you a second uh, to find it there. We're we're beginning uh, a sermon series. We began last week a sermon series on the Gospel of John. And you might not even have noticed that we were starting a new series because it was so appropriate to having communion Together, you thought maybe, maybe Paul just wants to talk about bread this morning. Uh, but we're actually going through this series of seven I am statements in the Gospel of John that Jesus makes about himself to describe himself. And we've talked about what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God as uh, Jesus's disciples, as citizens of his kingdom by looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Now we're, we're really looking at the character of the king the person of Christ as he describes himself to us in the Gospel of John. So let's stand, shall we, as we read God's word together. Starting in uh, John eight twelve. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. And then turning to the next page, John 9, 1. As he passed by, Jesus, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud And said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now turning now to uh, verse 35. Later it says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, the man who was uh, blind, And having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him 
and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and they said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see your guilt remains. You may be seated to have a moment to pray and consider God's word. You're going to want to keep your Bibles open here. We'll be um, mainly sticking in uh, John uh, chapter 9. You know, I wonder, have you ever had a great idea that in the moment, it seems like a great idea, but then afterwards it turns out to not have been such a great idea? You know, I mean, this weather is perfect for great ideas that aren't really great ideas. You know, it's a great idea. Let's go outside and play in the snow. And then you realize, ah, snow is really just cold water. And who wants to be, have cold water thrown all over them? And so there's things that you do that they sound like a good idea, and then they turn out to be not such a great idea. I had one of these great ideas myself when I was in Charlotte. I go up to Charlotte from time to time to take uh, classes, some of you know, for, for seminary, which the church is like so gracious to help me with and encourage me, and uh, it, it's just been so wonderful. So I'm up there just being filled with uh, the, the glory of God, you know, just sitting under teaching. It's wonderful. So I'm there, but it's kind of exhausting because you're sitting in a chair all day in a classroom being lectured to. Uh, and so I'm sitting in this classroom all day. And I'm just feeling kind of like sluggish and lethargic. And I think I know what I'll do. I got to be in class from like, you know, eight to five every day. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to wake up first thing in the morning and I'm going to go for a run. That's what I'm going to do. Okay, so I'm staying at my friend's house in this kind of unfamiliar neighborhood, and I have this great idea. I'm going to go for a jog. I'll be ready to face the day. And so I wake up, and y'all, it is dark when I get up. So that's, that's the first strike that I have against me. Second strike I have against me is that I'm not really that great of an athlete. I know I might be fooling you. But, you know, in, in, when I was playing soccer in high school, I just saw my, my, my soccer coach the other day at a burrito place, and I was with my son, and this is what he said, no lie, to, to my son. He didn't praise my athletic ability. He said, the classic thing that coaches say when you're not that great an athlete, he said, your dad really had heart. <laughs> he really had heart. You know, which means he tries a lot, but he just can't. There's a ceiling that he can't get past. So I was never like top shelf athlete, but I had heart which means I would kind of try too hard sometimes. And so, um, so first of all, pitch black outside, right? It's 5 a.m., uh, unfamiliar neighborhood. Number two, I'm not that coordinated. And number three, and this was really the clincher, is I had forgotten my contact lenses. So, like, I'm wearing contacts right now, and without them, I would not be able to see. I'd think that these were like ducks sitting on a table and not broken pots. Like I cannot see two feet in front of my head. Uh, so uh, it is dark and I'm basically blind. And so I'm, I'm walking in the, and I'm starting to jog in the dark. And I think this is this is a great idea because I didn't want to wear my glasses. 
because they'd break and then I'd really be up a creek, you know. So I'm, I'm running uh, and, of course, I run a little ways and I, I hit a brick and I fall and I scrape my leg <laughs> and I get up and I think, I should have known. I mean, this is just not such a great idea. So I have to go back and I don't run back. I just walk back kind of with my tail between my legs. You know, people are walking out to get the get the paper and they're just looking at me like, what are you doing, you idiot? And so I'm walking back to the house and I thought, that's just not a great idea. You know, like running blind in the dark. You just think that's that's not a great idea. But it's really interesting because if you look at how the Bible describes our spiritual condition, like apart from Christ, it says we're, we're basically running blind in the dark. <laughs> That's what it says uh, about us. And what we see this morning is that really our only hope is for God to have a great idea. <laughs> that really is a great idea, which is he's going to shine light into our hearts. He's going to light the way because it's dark outside and it's dark inside. Now, when when... John, the author uh, of the Gospel of John, when he was writing uh, his Gospel, it, it was most people believe that it was the last one to be written. And it was kind of at the end of the first century. So this was a time when the church was kind of established and it was really facing a lot of per- persecution. So this is a dark time in the history of the church, facing a lot of struggle, facing a lot of difficulty, really on the outside of the culture. And this is a dark time, and so he's speaking into this dark time in the lives of the people in the church. And he speaks about Jesus, who says, I am the light of the world. Which is just, that, that, that's what I want us to see uh, this morning. Yeah, at the very end of the Gospel of John, he tells you why he wrote the book. He said, I have written these things so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, and that you may believe in him. And that believing in him, you may have life. That's his purpose. So he makes it real easy for us. So that, that makes it easy for me too. So that's, that's my purpose for us this morning. That we'd really see Jesus, the real Jesus, as he describes himself in the scriptures. And that we'd see him, that we'd believe in him, and not just believe in him, and we'd follow after him that we'd really grab a hold of him. And so what I want to ask this morning is how do we know we've really grabbed a hold of the real Jesus? How do we know we're really following after Jesus as he reveals himself to us in the scriptures? Well, and I, and I think our passage gives us, gives us three ways we can tell. We discover three things when we begin to grab a hold of Jesus as he's revealed to us in the scriptures. We discover first, we're blind. The second thing we realize is that we're dead. And the third thing we realize is that we are sent by God. We're blind, we're dead, we're sent by God. It's kind of depressing at the beginning, but it's real good at the end. So let's look uh, first here, uh, our first lesson that we have to learn. To follow after Christ, we have to learn that we are blind. Now, now this is a hard lesson for a lot of us to learn, I know, but it's really important to get this right. Now, this entire passage that we're reading today in, in John 9, it's, it's, it's based around this surprising reversal. Now, in the end of the story, the man who's physically blind ends up seeing. And the people who can see, the Pharisees, they end up as the blind ones. 
Did you catch that? So there's this huge reversal that the, the most unlikely person ends up having the clearest view of God. And the people who you think would have the clearest insight into who God is, they're totally blind to what he's doing in the world. They're totally in the dark. And so the two things we learn here is if we claim to see, we're actually blind. And if we admit we're blind, we actually have a chance to see. So first, if we claim to see, we're actually blind. This is the, this is the problem of the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees, remember, were the, the religious leaders, the extra super holy people. And they were so convinced that they knew exactly what God was doing and exactly what God wanted, that they had built this entire way of life, this entire uh, society around their interpretation of the law and their administration of, of the sacraments to God's people. It was very, very oppressive. But it was, for them, it was great. I mean, because they were at the top of the heap. And, and it's so interesting because um, the time that Jesus uh, makes this statement, I'm the light of the world, in, in chapter 8, it's, it's right at the end of the biggest religious festival that they have all year called the Feast of the Tabernacles. And the Feast of the Tabernacles was, I mean, sometimes in the Bible they just call it the feast because they were like the party, you know, the big one that everyone goes to. Like, that's what it is. It's the feast, the festival. Like, we would say the festival, and we mean what? The Azalea Festival, right? You guys are like, come on, Azalea Festival. You know, you know. So, we know the, the big deal that happens here every year is the Azalea Festival. And for them, the big deal that happens every year was the Feast of the Tabernacles. There was this huge, massive celebration that happened around the temple. I mean, there were lights, there was worship, there was all these offerings being made. I mean, it was this big, big deal. And the Pharisees were right in the center. They were kind of the ringleaders of this whole big uh, time of, te- of uh, temple worship. They were the religious experts. They were the serious conservative believers. And the problem was they were so sure of their rightness that not even God could convince them that they were wrong. And, and there's an example that we have in, in our text that I want you to look at. Uh, they were sure that God would never want to heal someone on the Sabbath. Okay, so that's how they knew, that you, that's how you could tell that they were really missing what God was up to. In, in 9.16, this is, this is what they say. They're interrogating the man who was born blind. And they said, tell us about this man, Jesus. Tell him why he did this. To, tell us about him. Tell, tell, us, tell us why he did this to you. What do you know about him? And it says, some of the Pharisees said in verse 16, this man is not from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. Which means they're thinking if he kept the Sabbath, he wouldn't be healing people. Because if you really care about keeping the Sabbath, if you really are after following God's laws, if you're going to heal someone, you do it during the work week, like every other holy person. Right? You do, I mean, wait till Monday, Jesus, and heal this guy who's been suffering his whole life. So you see how narrow the Pharisees' view was? That they had taken uh, God's instruction about resting from our work and that they had just kind of laid it over everything in, in, in this really harsh and narrow way. Because originally what the Sabbath was about, it was resting from our work, not resting from God's work. It was about resting so that we could engage in acts of mercy and necessity and sacrifice and worship. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing, but the, the Pharisees had, had made it uh, so harsh and so oppressive 
and so narrow for everyone, really, except for themselves. You know, the Pharisees are like um, that person uh, who gets straight A's on the test. You know, you're in engineering school, let's say, and you, you get straight A's on your engineering exam, and then you go to your first job, and you realize, I don't know the first thing <laughs> about being an engineer. You've seen that movie uh, Goodwill Hunting. Probably some of you have seen it. It was really popular a long time ago. But there's this great scene where Robin Williams talks to this young prodigy who's memorized all these books. He has a photographic memory, and he, and he says to him, he says, you know, if I asked you about Michelangelo, I mean, you could tell me when the Sistine Chapel was painted. You could describe it to me. But you don't know what it smells like in there, do you? If I asked you about love, I mean, you could, you could cite a sonnet for me or you could say something, but you don't know what it's like to be leveled by a woman when she looks at you. There's a difference between knowing something and knowing something. Jonathan Edwards, the, um, the preacher, said this, that there's a difference between knowing that honey is sweet and having the sense of the sweetness of honey, having the taste of it, having the savor of it on your tongue. So the, the Pharisees knew what God wanted, but they didn't know about God. They didn't know about his character. They didn't know what he was up to. And so they were blind. And the Pharisees who claimed to see were totally blind to the activity of God and to the mercy of God. Now, if we're like the Pharisees and we, and we claim to revel in this knowledge that we have without really knowing God, we're going to be blind. But if we claim... If we, if we admit that we're blind, we're going to actually have a chance to see. And this is the beauty of the blind man. We see that if we come to God in humility, if we come to God in dependence, we might actually be surprised at what we learn. The man is miraculously healed. And watch this. The Pharisees, all through the middle part of, of chapter 9, they're bombarding him with all these questions. They're interrogating him. They're saying, who is Jesus? What do you say about him? Isn't this guy a sinner? We know he is, right? It's kind of a leading question. Tell us what a sinner he is. But it's hilarious that this man just refuses to comment. He's the one who has the first-hand experience of what God is doing, and he throws up his hands, and he says, listen, I mean, I don't know that much about the guy. I don't know what he looks like. I know what his voice sounds like. I know he healed me. I can only speak to what I know and what I've experienced. And he healed me. That doesn't sound like something a sinner would do. Unlike the Pharisees, the man admits that there's things that he fully doesn't understand yet. Verse 25, the man says, listen, whether he's a sinner or not, I can't comment on that. This is all I know. I was blind, but now I see. Such a simple statement and so profound. I mean, it just goes to show you that if you want to be a witness for Christ, if you want to tell the truth about who Jesus is, you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to have half the Bible memorized. But you can just testify clearly to what God has done in your own life and just very simply and humbly say, listen, this is what I know. I don't know everything, but I think I know something. Then look at how Jesus, watch this, see, see how he seeks out the man after he's been kicked out of the temple by the religious leaders, this is, we read this in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. They'd excommunicated him from the synagogue. And he found him and he said, 
Hey, do you believe in the son of man? And this is the guy's opportunity, right? I mean, he's throwing him the religious uh, softball and he's like, yes, I believe in him. You know, uh, I'm, I'm going to say all the things I know. I'm going to say all the things I believe. I'm going to really try to impress you, Jesus, uh, with my faith. And look at what the man says. He answered, who is he, sir? Tell me. As much as I'd like to know. Teach me so I can believe in him. And, and, and he opens himself up for one of the most amazing revelations that Jesus gives to anyone in, in the whole Bible. Where Jesus looks at him and and he lets him in. And he says, hey, it's me. I'm the son of man. I'm the one that that all the prophets were pointing to. That the whole Bible was pointing to. That was going to come into the world and set everything right. I'm I'm the the seed of David. Uh, I'm the heir. Everything that everyone has been waiting for. I'm the one who's going to redeem the kingdom. And he lets him in on the secret. Just because this guy chose to shut his mouth and ask a question and listen for a second. Great lesson for me. <laughs> and I think this man, you, you know, he recognized the voice of Jesus, and it caused him to be silent. That's a great lesson for us. Now, we should feel the irony here, because Jesus says, hey, you've seen him. He hasn't really seen him yet, right? <laughs> Because he's not, we know at this point, Jesus isn't just talking about physical sight. He's talking about spiritual sight. He's talking about looking to God with the eyes of faith, coming to God in a place of need, coming to God with open hands, with eyes to see him as your rescuer, as your redeemer. He's saying, teach me, lead me. I don't know. And there's this incredible reversal. The blind man sees and the people who claim to see are blind to the most important thing that God is doing. And Jesus explains that this reversal is part of his plan. It's all about this reversal. That's what Jesus has come into the world to do. This is what he says uh, in verse 39. For judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. And when Jesus says, for judgment, I came into the world here, we, we, we shouldn't think of like, you know, on the final day, judgment, you know, rendering verdict for evil. What, what, what it's really, it's really saying is when my light moves into the world, it uncovers things. It judges in the sense that it, that it reveals the inner motivations of people's hearts. So that when I move into someone's life, you really see the darkness for what it is and you really see the light for what it is. Jesus has this polarizing effect for people. And what he's basically saying is, for judgment I've come into the world to uncover things, to uncover people, to uncover hearts. My light is like an x-ray, is what Jesus is saying. So for judgment, I've come into the world to do this reversal, to, to show the motives of people's hearts. The people who think they know what's going on, they're actually going to be shown to be pretty ignorant. And that the people who are willing to admit that there's a lot about God that they don't know, that God's going to reward them and bless them and draw near to them. Now, I think we need to be careful here. I don't think our church would necessarily make this mistake. There's Sometimes we can be tempted to just kind of revel in ignorance 
and uncertainty, to be like, well, I don't want to be like a Pharisee, so throw theology out the window. I'm, uh, you know, I'm just going to be a simple Christian and, uh, you know, just going to only the New Testament, right? Or, hey, n- n- no books but the Bible, things like that. So, and I understand the impulse behind that. Is it, is it that you want to avoid prideful knowledge. But the truth is, is that Jesus isn't knocking knowledge here. He's knocking you know, prideful knowledge. And we're not supposed to glory in our, in our ignorance. We're supposed to really seek after knowledge and revelation of who Jesus is. If you've got a question, go and find an answer to it. But when you find an answer, don't get all puffed up about it, is what Jesus is saying. Uh, this, this minister... John Flavel has this amazing quote. And this was a learned guy. I mean, this is a guy who would write like pages and pages of sermons on one little uh, verse of scripture, you know. But in this one sermon, uh, he talks about uh, the knowledge of Christ. And he said, the knowledge of Christ, it's vast and deep. It's so deep, no one has a line long enough to fathom its depth. He said, compared to the knowledge of Christ, the study of Christ... Compared to it, all other sciences are shadows. He said, the study of Christ is like when colonists move into a new country. And they come and they set up shop on the shore. And then then they learn more and they grow more. And eventually they move into the center of the country and they colonize the whole thing. He said, in Christ, we're all just sitting on the beach still. The the further of us along are just making our way to the edge of the shore. And that's where we're going to be for the rest of our life. So if you really come to know Christ, if you really have his light shine in your heart, it's going to create a tremendous amount of humility. Because we're still just on the shore. We haven't even begun to plumb the depths. And so if your knowledge about Christ produces pride, I mean, that should be a check right there. That maybe, maybe you're blind. Or, or, or think about this. If you're in a conversation with someone, and uh, you're talking with them, and, and you have a tendency maybe to size them up. You know, so they're talking about a problem you have, and, and guys, I mean, I do this a lot. I do this with, uh, in my home a lot. So um, you're in, having a conversation, and, and before the person is done speaking, you go, I know exactly what your problem is. I know exactly what you need. I know exactly what the solution is. Because my knowledge is so comprehensive, I know exactly what you need without even having to listen to the rest of it. And you know what? That's blindness. That's total blindness. Or, I mean, think about this. I mean, if if your view of, of the way God is operating in the world is narrower than the Bible is, if you think uh, nobody could dress that way, nobody could speak that way, nobody could look that way, nobody could vote that way and belong to Jesus, guess what? If we're more narrow than the Bible is, we're blind. We're making ourselves blind and we're missing what God is doing in people's lives. Who They may be really uh, on a journey with him and we don't know where they are. We don't know what he's doing in their hearts. So our knowledge of Christ, if we've really come to him, if we're really following after him, his light should cause us to see our blindness. It should create a certain amount of humility in us. And so I just wonder, where are you like the Pharisees, that you think you know something, but you really, you really don't know? Maybe that's a question that you can ask.
Now, second, we know that to follow Jesus, we don't have to learn that we're blind. We also have to learn that we're dead. Now, uh, what I mean by this is that the solution to our problems has to come from outside ourselves. We're not just blind. We're also powerless. That means we don't just need direction from God. We need a new creation to come from God. This is another crucial point. Because when you hear in the text, when you hear in, in uh, John eight twelve, and when you hear in chapter 9, Jesus say, I am the light of the world, we can tend to think of light as only about direction, right? Like, like it's a flashlight. It's going to light the way for us. Or maybe even use a biblical metaphor. You can think about Israel in, in the wilderness, And that's what the Feast of the Tabernacles is all about celebrating. The congregation of Israel was in the wilderness and God, his light, the pillar of fire was leading them through the darkness. But I think Jesus is getting at something even more than that here, because what all of those pointed to was that God has this ability to create order out of chaos. And light is a picture of that. Because when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, we shouldn't just be thinking of the exodus. Um, we shouldn't just be thinking of the sun. We should be thinking of the very beginning of creation. In Genesis 1, where there's utter darkness, where there's utter chaos, and God speaks the first words. And this is what he says. Let there be light. And then boom. In utter darkness and utter chaos, from nothing, there's light. There's new creation. There's order, there's beauty, there's truth. And so when Jesus says, I am the light, he means, I am the one that moves into the darkness. I'm the one that creates something out of nothing. I'm the creative, um, truth-giving power of God that moves into the world. I'm the light. That's what he's saying. And, and if he wanted to drive it home uh, even more... Um, we, we, we can just see how you know, before the man does anything, before this blind man does anything, he can't seek after Jesus. Jesus seeks after him. Right? It's, so, it's such a beautiful picture. Jesus picks a man who can't come to find him, who's just sitting there outside the temple. And it says, 9-1, as he passed by, who saw who? Jesus saw the man before he could see him. He's not into giving direction to people who can see first. First, he's about seeing people who are totally blind to him and seeking them out. And if you want him to drive it uh, even further, he's saying that new creation comes from me. I'm not just I'm not just giving you direction. I'm giving new creation and it's coming through me because look what he does. This is incredible. Uh. Jesus is saying, I'm the creator God who brings light and life. And watch this, I'm going to prove it to you. So he makes this statement in, in, in the temple, right in the midst of this, this huge ceremony, ceremony where it's celebrating the light of God. And then he moves outside and he says, do you want to know what the light is all about? And he walks up to this man who can't see, and then he does something so incredible. He spits in the ground and starts making mud pies. And he puts them on the guy's face. And, I mean, people have been baffled by why he did this. And, and I think, because I want to be humble, I'm going, I don't fully understand why Jesus did this. But there is one thing that I think this points to that could be really instructive for us. 
In the beginning of time, when God made the world, he made it out of nothing, right? Formless and void, ex nihilo, God just spoke the world into being, he made it out of nothing. But when God made man, he made him out of something. From the dust of the ground, right? So when when God created humanity, when he was going to make a new person, he dug into the stuff of creation and gave it creative power and used it. And I think what Jesus is doing is, is maybe pointing back to that, saying, you know, I, I'm going to make this guy some new eyes, maybe. <laughs> or I, I'm, going to, I'm going to work an act of creation. Or maybe I, I'm going to take the kind of sight that this guy is going to have in the new heavens and the new earth, and I'm just going to bring him into right now into the present. And I'm just going to go ahead and do a new creation right now. And I'm going to use the stuff of this earth just to point back to Genesis to say, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. So, so it points not just to Jesus, but it points back to, to what God has done in the Old Testament to prove that, that he really has come from the Father and that he and the Father are one. That's just what I think. I mean, Jesus could, could heal the dead, you know, uh, or he, you know, raise the dead, heal the sick without using anything. But I, I really think he's pointing back to something from the Old Testament. Uh, just as we saw last week that, that Jesus pointed back to Moses. That Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that God has said about the creative and the sustaining power of God in the world. Now, being a follower of Jesus... That means for us that you have been recreated. It means you've been born again. And for, for us, not all of our testimony will be this dramatic. Like, I was blind and now I see. But it's that dramatic spiritually when you come to Christ. And for us who are walking with Jesus, there, there should be a sense of this continual newness of life and this progression. And, and yeah, freedom from the bondage of sin. And the presence of new desires in your heart that line up with the desires uh, that the Bible lays out. That you become more like Christ. That you love the things that God loves and, and, and you really learn to despise and turn from the things that God despises. That the things that God says are beautiful are beautiful to you. There's that, that's what that newness of life feels like. That's what it looks like to be a new creation kind of on the ground level. That God rewires your heart. The Bible calls it replacing a heart of stone with a heart of flesh. That's what the new creation is. Jesus isn't just a guide. He's a savior. He's a creator who speaks new life to people that are in bondage to darkness. Whose hearts are hardened by sin. And he gives them a new heart. Something they couldn't do for themselves. And the apostle Paul puts it perfectly. This is such a great picture. It says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, that very same creator God who said, let there be light in the very beginning, he has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians 4, 6. The very same God who spoke creation into being speaks into the uncreated darkness of our hearts, the chaotic darkness of our hearts. And he brings order and beauty and truth and light and life. Where? How? 
by revealing the gospel, by showing us the face of Jesus Christ. So the question for us is, uh, I mean, have we understood really that we're dead? Do we think of Jesus just as our guide or do we think of Jesus as our, our, our savior? Um, has he captured your heart? Do you see the presence of new desires in you that you didn't see 10 years ago, five years ago, five days ago, five minutes ago? Do you have a new hunger for, hol- for holiness and yet yeah, even a, a new ability to obey God? A desire to struggle against sin. And if you do, I mean, praise God as far along as you are. It, it seems to indicate that you're a new creation. But when we believe and follow after Jesus, when we see that we're spiritually blind, we realize we're spiritually dead. Jesus doesn't just leave us there. And just just really quick, I want to show us this. What we really believe, we receive a new mission. We become people who are sent. And if we're following the light, we're going to see that we're, we're in motion. Because God is in motion. And that, that motion has both direction and purpose. Quickly. The, now the direction is moving towards the darkness. This is really important. It's moving out and away. It's moving into the world. You see this motion all throughout the Bible, but especially in the book of Acts. This is, this is amazing. In the very beginning of the book of Acts, Acts 1-8, Jesus says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And if you look through the whole book of Acts, that's how it goes. First, all the stuff happens in Jerusalem. Then it happens in Judea and Samaria. And then at the very end of the book, Paul is at the edge of the, the known world, the Roman Empire, and the gospel has moved out really to the ends of the earth. So the direction of the light is moving towards the unreached. It's moving towards the darkness. It's moving towards people who are in need, who are in trouble. And Jesus illustrates this perfectly, right? Because he's in the Feast of the Tabernacles. He's there, and this, this is the big religious festival of the year. I mean, this is like Easter Sunday, 10 a.m. This is the big service. Everyone's there. And in the middle of the service, in the middle of all the hoopla, there, there's all these candles lit. And, and I mean, if you read the old accounts of the Feast of the Tabernacles, this was beautiful. They said that the light from all the lamps, it seemed to light the whole city of Jerusalem. I mean, it was spectacular. People are singing and dancing. They're like, look at how great God is. This is so great. He's been so good to his people, Israel. And they're all celebrating how God shone his light on his covenant people. And then Jesus says, listen. I'm not just the light of Israel. I'm the light of the world. And so he steps out of the temple and he goes to find this man. Now, if they had read the Bible, they would have seen Isaiah 49, 6, where it says that, that this Messiah, he's going to be a light to the nations, meaning a light to the ethne, to the Gentiles, to the other ethnic groups that aren't the Jews. Jesus is saying, this light has direction. It moves out. Just look at the direction that I'm going. So Jesus is sent out, and even the man gets sent out, right? He gets sent out of the temple. And so you see this picture, this pattern in the Bible that God gathers us together to scatter us. He blesses his people so that they can then be a blessing to those outside. This is the pattern you see over and over and over again in, in, in the book of Acts. Everyone gets together. 
the Feast of Pentecost. This is so great. We're all together. We're sharing everything. We're living. We're just couch surfing in, in everyone's homes. And all the believers are there in Jerusalem. And then Stephen dies. And boom, the church scatters. How is the gospel going to go to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth? Well, God creates persecution. He allows persecution to happen. And then boom, the church scatters. That's God's plan. The light is going to move out. The direction is towards the darkness. But it doesn't just have direction. The light of God moves into the world with purpose. I just want you to just hear this. There may be some places in your life where you feel like you're getting pushed out, where you feel like you're getting kicked out, when you might actually be being sent out by God. Jesus is in the temple. He's talking to the Pharisees, and they're trying to kill him. (laughs) He hides from them, and he leaves the temple. And you think, they kicked him out. They're pushing him out. It's too hot for him in there. He's got to get outside. But then look, he's on a mission. He's sent. He's going right where he's supposed to go to visit this man who's born blind. And then the man, (laughs) he gets kicked out of the temple. He gets kicked out. His family basically has to disown him. And then who's he meet? He's, He's being pushed towards Jesus. And if he couldn't make this any clearer, I mean, look at what Jesus tells the man. He says, go and wash. And the name of the pool where he sent him was called Sent. So there's this blind man wandering through the streets of Jerusalem, and he's going, Sent, 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 uh, the pool of Sent. I'm going to Sent. I'm sent to the pool of Sent. And he's just kind of walking through. And it's this picture that Jesus has sent him. He's given him instructions. And I just think for us, God has sent us. He sent us somewhere. He's given us instructions in his word. And our part is to, to obey and to follow after him. I think we can think so many times that yet the work of God is to believe, like we talked about last week. But look at the metaphors Jesus uses. Believing is walking. Believing is following. It's not just a one-time thing. It's this active, ongoing process. Believing means being sent with direction and purpose. And where are you going? Towards the darkness. And so the question I have for you is, is there a place where it feels like you're getting pushed out? Where you're getting kicked out? And you might be getting sent out by God. Where is there somewhere where God has already providentially placed you? intentionally placed you, not by coincidence, but by his design, near the darkness, near need, so that you could be a light. If we really have grabbed a hold of the real Jesus, we're going to see our need. We're going to see our blindness. We're going to see our lack of knowledge. We're going to hunger and thirst for more. And, and then we're going, to be, we're going to see that he's in motion. That he has been sent into the world and he is sending us out into the world as salt and light. Because he's shined his light into our hearts. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us to have the same sense that you had of um, being constrained to do work for your kingdom. Lord, you say that... uh, While it's day, we must work. Lord, I pray that that we would have that sense that we must work. 
We must work to obey you. We must work to, to follow after you, to follow hard after your word, and, and to, to, that, Lord, you would give us eyes to see the people and, and, and see the situations that need your light, that need your love, that need your grace, that need your gospel. And, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room that if any of them feel like they're walking in darkness, if they feel uh, blind, Lord, that you would answer their prayer. If they don't even know what to pray, Lord, you give them a prayer to ask for rescue or to ask for revelation, to ask for a new creation, a new heart and a new spirit, Lord. May you shine your light into our hearts to give us the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We pray in your glorious name. Amen.